Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Welcome to our episode on Larry Niven's classic Hugo Award winner, Ringworld. Peter, how'd you like Ringworld? Um, it was very good. <laughs> was it a Hugo Award? <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, it totally was. Remember we were gonna do it on uh, Hugo's there, and then it was sniped. <laughs> You're right. That's my bad. So somebody else had already uh, claimed it. I, I on the awards list for the page I have up, it just has the Locus Award for best novel. Oh, that's funny. No, it's definitely a Hugo Award winner. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But yes, that was a very lukewarm thing because I know for a fact you really enjoyed this novel. <laughs> no, I love this book a lot. I was just confused as soon as you said that, and I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so to no, this is actually I would go so far up. as to say one of my favorite books we've done, possibly really? like top five. Really, that's very yeah. interesting. I was just thinking we should come up with a list. Like I was thinking we should do a rankings. list, or like we should do at the end of the year, like as our annual like yeah. birthday thing. I would like to do that. That's a good idea. That'd be nice, like a, a walk through the ages. So should we keep brainstorming uh, while recording, or? <laughs> no, yeah, let's definitely bring like let's part the kimono, okay, and uh, bring them in. That phrase seems like it's uh, TM'd. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, TM. TM, TM. That's four TMs, and now it's ours. <laughs> well, if it's not, it is now. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the word kimono. <laughs> we, two white people, own that. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, world. I was anyway. about to say, Cece, they don't know that we're white. And I was like, oh, no, they for sure do. They've heard us talk for two and a, or for like a year and a half. They've definitely noticed. Oh, they for sure <laughs> We're not noticed. fooling anybody. <laughs> Um, but yes, I thought it was very good. I, it kind of reminded me of the foundation, like in tone. I, I thought that I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the foundation books. It reminded me more of foundation's edge where it has sort of the same, like problems of vintage sci-fi, but has a lot more interesting characters and overall is an extremely interesting world and has a lot of very creative things going on um but yeah the, the characters are a little weak in some cases interesting especially the female ones oh yeah the female this was definitely not vintage woke this was <laughs> this wasn't even vintage woke <laughs> this is vintage slept <laughs> vintage slept exactly you know, or just vintage, I guess we could we just or call just, that. Or just vintage. That's also true. That's a good good possible <laughs> term for it. Um, it's a nice <laughs> term for it, I guess. Sure. Yes. I mean, it's fine. It's it is what it is. I still really enjoyed it, like I said. But um, yeah, some characters right. are pretty weak sauce. All right. Fair enough. That is that's fair. Yes. Um, were there any other? people you didn't like or any other off-female characters that made you kind of specifically say that the female characters were weak or is it just Tila that really took the <laughs> I mean how many female characters were there there was pretty much Tila and then um Prill the prostitute <laughs> the, the prostitute well not exactly hold on they hey have... she's a refined prostitute okay she's a very, she's a very good prostitute um but yes exactly <laughs> yeah they, exactly. they were it, they were not very dimensional let's just say that all right um, and oh. i also i kind of had trouble 
caring about the love story because also it didn't seem like the characters cared about the love story. You mean like, like the sudden um the do you mean the love story between Seeker and Tila? <laughs> no, I mean the love story between Louis and Tila. Oh. I didn't care about either of them to be fair. But like clearly they didn't either. <laughs> because <laughs> i mean even louis just like eh, we only loved each other because of her luck and she had to come here so that she could love seeker who she also fell in love with in three days um and has decided to now just wander this ring world with him forever <laughs> because of love because that's what love. her luck fated her to do because love because luck that, that was her whole storyline yeah that was not good I, I wanted to be into the idea of breeding luck, and to be fair to Niven, like, if you're gonna do it, that's probably the way to do it. It was an interesting idea. It was just kind of... Eh, well, do you want to talk about lot. that? Do you want to go past general uh, general impressions and just move straight into, I don't know, the manipulations of the puppeteers? Yeah, the puppeteers are extremely interesting. I thought it was hilarious, though, towards the end when Louis like... Hey, do you think that's why they're called puppeteers? And I'm like, yeah, duh, <laughs> idiot. Did you not? You have you not noticed that? Was the TASP alone not enough for you? Oh, the TASP was pretty bad. Yeah, but like, well, did, did it was he very know this obvious. Existed until before the like. TASPs. Oh no, those were just a thing. That's right. Yeah, but, I'm pretty sure they were generally a thing because Tila knew about them. But yeah, but they were a thing like for other people too. They weren't just like a puppeteer thing. That's true. That's a fair point. Okay, fine. So the task alone, not necessarily enough, but definitely as soon as they figured out what happened with the um, with the star seed. Now, in fairness, I heard puppeteer, and I just thought, oh, that's about the heads. But what's puppeteery about the heads? Because it, you control, like, the body is the brain and uses the heads like puppets. Like, they kind of remind me of sock puppets. Okay. okay. <laughs> I guess I could sort of see that. Especially the fan fiction you sent me. The fan, fi- fan art you sent me. Fan rather. fiction. <laughs> I mean, it's fictional art, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that's definitely true. And, I mean, they do use their heads as their hands also. So, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, that was really weird. Yeah. He's just like grabbing shit with his mouth. Like, oh my god. <laughs> what else are you gonna do? Peter, it's rude to call aliens weird anyway. Um, that's you're right, that's just, very uh human centric of me. Are. Yeah. Don't be uh don't be human centric. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> in other words. Yes. We're back to our phil we've come back to our philosophical roots in this podcast. I know we started saying we would be very philosophical about the books we read, but really it just all boils down to don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. This um, is the conclusion of sci fi sidebar. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of into the puppeteers, though. Like, I think they're a little crazy, obviously. They're they're very, very paranoid. Very, very cautious. But, like, total technological badasses. Oh, for who sure. Who literally just have the known universe on strings that they can pull and manipulate as much as they want because they're so far ahead of everyone else. You know, as if the rest of the universe are puppets. Yeah, yeah, almost just, like that. Louis, yeah, weird, weird. idiot. I can get it, though. Like, you are raised knowing, oh, puppeteers are puppeteers, and also yeah. they're puppeteers because their head, like, they control their heads like puppets. Like, all right, I, I could see if puppeteers were a known thing, which they were. Um, Louis had never met one, I don't think, but they were known. Right. Yes, and because they I had could, left. Yeah, because they had left, like, uh, 200 years before or something like that. Yeah. 
which is how old Louis was, so. You're right. So they were considered um, very rare to be seen. Yes. So, you know, I can kind of get on board with the, like, oh, they're just puppeteers. That's just what they're called. Right. Uh, but, no, you're for the reader, that's dumb. And they should have realized. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's totally true. We're not coming in with the biases of having been raised in that world. Exactly. We've never, I mean, we come in like, why are they called puppeteers? Whereas Louis never really had to wonder. Yeah, they were just called puppeteers. He was just told that. Right, exactly. I actually did think their name was very interesting. The Pearson's Puppeteer. It makes it sound like... Like, I wonder who Pearson was, you know? Um, I assumed that was, like, the guy that first met the puppeteers. I, I assume so, too. But it's interesting that they call them the Pearson's Puppeteers. Like, I wonder if they manipulated Pearson in some way. My running theory is that Pearson kind of found them by accident. He was kind of an outlier and maybe wasn't with other people. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, hey, I met these weird-ass aliens. <laughs> they are crazy. They look they like do, puppeteers. <laughs> dude, they control shit with their heads. <laughs> and then uh, Pearson yeah, was also like... They do not have opposable thumbs. And he was on a drug running. Go? Anyway. Oh, oh was he? <laughs> yeah, he was drug running. And um, he came back, super stoned, talking about these weird puppets. And like, oh, Pierce, classic Pearson's puppeteers. And then they <laughs> fucking showed up. Strong theory, Peter. Strong theory. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm right, Cece. Yeah. Well, I I assume you've read all of the uh, all of the other books by now. Yeah. So. Yes. I actually emailed Larry Nevin. Um, <laughs> okay. Is he even alive? Do we know that? I don't know. He did publish in 2006. Oh, that was 13 so years ago. That's, that's a long time. Yeah, but that's like the most recent of these the string of vintage authors we've been doing semi lately. That's probably true. I don't know when the last time I asked him of. Uh, published was but i would guess in the 90s i would guess in the early 90s yeah well Uh, anyway um yeah so what do you think about the puppeteers i mostly talked there uh yeah i mean they are yeah cc god so rude guys you know how cc always monopolizes the conversation god (laughs) um i had to make another podcast to get a word in and you don't even do that i don't even do that anymore um (laughs) i stopped getting my word in uh (laughs) I'll get there. All right, thanks for sharing, Peter. So anyway, up <laughs> 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 oh, your window's up. So anyway, the uh, puppeteers, I thought they were really cool. I always like the idea of. So I feel like it comes up a lot in sci-fi. The idea of this precursor race, right? Mm-hmm. And they have all the powers. Like it's in Stargate. It's in Halo. It's in Mass Effect. It's in basically like ninety-five percent of sci-fi. <laughs> right. There's some sort of grand pre- precessor race, whether they're the same race as an existing race or not, and they just have the power. Right, they're so far advanced compared to anything. Right, that shit's like magic. And like everyone's got their technology based on the technology of the precursor. Right, right. Like the coming of age ceremony in the Mass Effect universe is discovering a Mass Effect relay. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that trope is very cool. And it does exist in this book because there is this gone race, the engineers that built this ring. But I think it's also cool to find the puppeteers who are basically that but alive. (laughs) Like they're (laughs) not gone. And it's cool to see the interaction between those puppeteers, those kind of supernatural beings with their technological prowess being still around at least to some extent that's totally true and what's interesting about them is that they they don't really leverage it at all 
they just kind of use it to keep themselves safe, but they don't lord it over the other races. Yeah, they don't have an empire. Really, yeah, they don't really even interact. They just kind of want to chill on their planets, rolling through space because they've made their own little ring suns. And, and trade just, good. And what? And trade good. And trade good, yeah. And not tell anyone about their like crazy super speed abilities they're really good technology they're very very good technology how about their planet moving technology because that's the most bonkers shit i know imagine being like i mean to be fair actually it kind of makes sense like you have this humongous population you're like i would have to mine my entire planet into nothingness to come up with enough material to build ships to transport my people out of known space I don't, I, I, in a way, better plan. Just move the planet. Especially if you've <laughs> if got you the can, technology. If you can afford it, yeah. <laughs> like, that's more comfy for everyone. It's sort of like taking an RV on a road trip instead of a sedan. <laughs> Cece, I love that analogy. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great analogy. Oh, thanks. Um, and you're right. And it does make sense. I think it's really interesting that you have this super advanced civilization, most of whom were afraid to fly in hyperspace. I know. They're so crazy. Little agoraphobes. Really smart agoraphobes. Yeah, I'm like, how do you get to the place you were? Because they didn't even, like, it's not even one of those things where, oh, they just happened to have more tech. So there's this one series that I love, love, love. And one day I'll buy you one of the books. (laughs) And, um... It is called... Uh, actually, I've talked about it before. The Terran Privateer. Yes. Um, one of the things in it is, like, this worm race. They're, like, these gigantic worms. But they're, like, the oldest civilization in the galaxy. Hmm. And they are, like, really far beyond everyone else. And actually, it's a similar thing. Their species um, is super, super introverted. And so they won't interact with each other. So, like... Their spaceships have, like, four people on them, and you have to be considered completely insane to go on a spaceship. <laughs> like, it's, That's it's, interesting. it's hilarious. But they got a lot of their technological prowess because they were kind of a, a subject race to this ancient, super-advanced society, which has since destroyed itself. But, so they got uh-huh. most of their... They got their edge. They developed on their own, but they got their edge from being a subject race to this super-powerful race. Like, if you were the only one who knew about the Mass Effect relays, basically. Yeah, exactly. If, like, you know, if the, the, um, I can't even think of a, a race right now that's not human, and it's real bad. I haven't played it in too long. Uh, what? Asari. If you're, if you're an Asari. <laughs> and, like, you knew the Protheans. Right. And then, or, like, you found a relay, like, when you were a Steam Society. <laughs> And then you just worked from there. Then you'd have a huge, massive edge on everyone else by the time they discovered it. Yeah, that makes sense. You would basically um, now own that technology. You are the inheritor of the technology. Yeah. and But I think it's interesting that the puppeteers aren't that. They just never, like, I guess, had a great war and lost all their technology. Like, I don't know. I don't know how the, why the puppeteers are the way they are. But they are. Yeah, they are. They're a very interesting race. I think that... Um, I mean, they're kind of just a bunch of introverted nerds. <laughs> Maybe they just did it because they loved it. Introverted like, nerdy really, counters. Cowards. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just... I mean, they're, well, they're, they're actually not introverted. Like, they like each other. They keep to themselves. They just don't want to really talk to anyone else. 
I think... Like, even there was that point where Nessus is like, oh yeah, all our ships smell like... <laughs> smell like a uh, uh, puppeteer. We love it. <laughs> it's like a necessary comfort of home to smell huh. ourselves. Like, imagine walking into a train car. And, and it's just always B.O. smell like people. Yep. <laughs> and honestly, that's my everyday commute. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But it's basically... Um. But I would enjoy it in that scenario. <laughs> Fair enough. But, yeah, do you want to move on from the puppeteers? Um, well, not entirely. Okay, go on. So, first of all, um, I wanted to talk about the nice little, the little discovery Louis made about... For, okay. Oh, yes. First, first yes. of all, the hindmost. Uh, I love that idea. That's hilarious. Leads from behind. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that they... Then Louis like realized that really what they lost was they're actually a very they're instinctually a creative race a, a very courageous race rather, right? But they're not. But they're or so at least like, very um, capable of defending themselves. No, I think I think instinctually it was courageous because the hindmost, the leader, is the one who's going to kick someone in the face. Like he will be right. caught first. Right. They just built this whole majority like. Uh, mythology around being cowards and so that's what everyone assumes they are and that's what they assume they are yeah but they're actually like kind of brave in weird <laughs> ways right or at least their ancestors were yeah so i think it's interesting um that at least that's their their origin because they're like oh we always just run and i just think it's kind of i don't know i think it was, it was a cool little discovery of louis and i think it gives the puppeteers a kind of different mm, appearance different presentation of themselves i guess yeah it kind of props them up a little bit because they're kind of i mean to be fair like and speaking of animals brings this up he's like why wouldn't i be afraid of them they are so far beyond us like sure they're cowards and they're weak and i could tear a bunch apart with my bare hands in no time but like they are so 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 much more powerful than us so, like, they've always been capable and able to take care of themselves, but, like, that goes back into their ancestral history. It's not like they were prey animals uh-huh. that had no way of defending themselves. Like, they could defend themselves always. Mm-hmm, right. In the um, primitive days. I mean, yeah, they wouldn't have made it if they just couldn't defend themselves. Right, exactly. In fact, they must have been good enough. Every animal can, somehow. And they must have been good at defending themselves that they enough that they were able to build a society. There must have been enough of them that lived that they built a society Right. Probably much quicker than everyone else. Right, presumably. Although that that is sort of something you don't get a sense of scale of is like how long any civilization has been around. Kind of except for the Warring World Engineers, and even them it's more of like a vague notion. Mm-hmm, true. Um, and by the way, so let me bring this up. Um, this, this universe takes for granted and doesn't really explore at all, but just sort of states... The idea of panspermia, which I think is is pretty interesting. Like they kind of brush past it, the fact that the Ring World is <laughs> it's inhabited by humans or at least hominids. And mm-hmm. if I were Louis, I'd be like, "Holy shit, <laughs> this is crazy!" And everyone's just like, "Yep, yeah, that makes sense." <laughs> yeah, you you're you're related to Kazinti, so like <laughs> I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, I did just they? The book kind of very yeah. Apparently, um, Kizuti and humans have a common ancestor. This is just brush past. Yeah, I mean, it's brush past in a way that I didn't pay You literally attention. didn't notice it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. Um, 
that is interesting. And, huh, okay. Now, what was the story of the humans getting where they were? Because the engineers were just very similar to looking to the humans, right? That was the whole uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, they definitely seem to be humans, and... I At mean, least Louis had, like, a lot of sex with one of them, so they were pretty human. I'm <laughs> sure that did happen. I forgot about that. Yeah, so, like, I think that they, this is what I'm saying. They just don't really talk about it. Louis's like, eh, it's not important right now. He literally blows it off. I forget what scene it is that they actually discover it, but <laughs> somebody's like, wow, so, like, maybe they were, like, colonizing in your area or something, and he's like, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Like, they talk about how they probably implanted both humans and Neanderthals and, like, other species of hominids on Earth, which is why we have this, like, fossil record of evolution, even though it doesn't happen. I I wonder if it's just Larry Niven being like, I want humans to be on the ring world. I have to address it. Yeah, it's not an interesting story if, I guess, I mean, there could be something else on the ring world, but he wants them there. Right. Right, he, he. it's important to him that there be humans there, for whatever reason. Probably so Louis can get laid when Tila ditches him. And Tila can get laid when she ditches Louis. <laughs> I mean, actually, that's fair. Like, that's that Tila's storyline doesn't make sense unless that happens. Yeah, it's right. I, guess Tila I, mean, could, I, I mean, I guess Tila could hook up with an alien. That's true. That's true. I mean, there was We both no play reason. Mass Effect. <laughs> there is... They really... They had to come up with a justification for Tila needing to be on the ring world. And, again, such a weak justification. It wasn't... I mean, I guess they were kind of like, she'll become a fully actualized person here. But I didn't really feel like there was a reason for that. Like, what was she going to learn there? Um, She needed a man to be a fully actualized person, Cece. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you forgot that, that important that issue. Like, he literally sells her to Seeker at the end. Because, whatever, I guess that's, like, Seeker's culture. That is extremely like forbidding like it's it's and that's very... where that's where Tila's like oh yeah this is my society sell me <laughs> Tila's like I'm so into this thank you all I've ever wanted is to be owned by a man now I can grow <laughs> it's weird I have a monetary amount about how much I'm worth now cool <laughs> and it's body guarding, guarding services and one dose of life drug excellent um, excellent excellent good, good to know it's, love that Mm. It is a very, like, sinister Ender story. No, it's nuts! (laughs) I'm just gonna wander around, like, live in a mortal life with this kind of dumb brawny dude. And I guess be in love? Even though he owns me? So, like, I I guess I'd better be in love, because if I'm not, mm -mm, it's gonna be bad news. Yeah, but how do we know he he won't, like, trade her for a sheep one day? I know! Also, a lot of references to rape. Like, as from our main character. Like, once is a joke, so fine, whatever. But then, like, literally, the first night with Prill, he's like, ah, oh, if, she, if she refuses me now, like, I'd have to take her by force. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. No, it's like, it's not... There are it's some the scenes in this cool. book that are just, like, for... So the book as a whole, I feel like, reads, like, a much... It's, like, with the exception of kind of idealistic issues about the position of or the relationship between men and women in a modern world mm-hmm. like a lot of it reads like a modern book like there's lots of fun kind of like uh tongue-in-cheek humor yeah like, louis you know thoughts are very are, are telling some jokes that like i thought were hilarious and i can compare <laughs> to like in some places it kind of felt like a um like a hitchhiker's guide 
You know? Yeah, I feel that. Like, there are some scenes where I'm like, oh, that's funny. The puppeteers, the ultimate, like, the galaxy's greatest cowards. Like, right. that's funny. Yeah, they're and that's totally kind of right. A little bit of the modern, like, more having fun with these books, which is so far from the stoic, stony Asimov. Totally true. I agree 100%. And this book came out in, like, 1970? 1970? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not like it's a modern book by any means. Right. Yeah, but you're right. It has, like, a very modern, um, modern feel to it right but then he doesn't do shit like like that yes yes (laughs) and then that happens and you're like uh this is my hero (laughs) this is the hero character i see i see i see cool that's fun for everyone (laughs) and i like it made me wonder i was like is this what how all media was in 1970 or (laughs) (laughs) slightly rapey slightly rapey just a little overtly rapey occasionally um I mean, I don't watch a whole lot of vintage media, so, like, I guess I don't know. But, like, books like this are definitely where that sort of um, old stereotype of sci-fi where, like, oh, really sexual, very beautiful women just always want to have sex with our main character all the time. <laughs> and they don't really have a lot else going on. Like, that sort of old sci-fi trope is definitely present in this book. That's one of my favorite things about the... Um about the original Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. That, like... That Leia was not at, interested in Yeah, Luke. at first, Leia, like, falls into that stereotype hard. What, because she's, like, beautiful and princessy? Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, even in, um... But then she gets hit on repeatedly, and she's like, nope, 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 nope. Was that Return nope. of the Jedi? <laughs> um, With uh, the, the Jabba? And, like, the... Oh, yeah, uh... Uh, the the what's it called the, the like the bikini and shit. Yeah, it does turn the Jedi. Maybe. Sorry, we have a sci-fi podcast. Ooh, Ooh. I spent all my time reading books for you guys. What <laughs> yeah. do you want from me? It's mostly a book podcast, okay? Yeah, we've never read a Star Wars movies. book. Um, that's I right. Refu- I said I refuse to do that. I read one. And it was I did not enjoy it. Oh really? I've heard that it's a very good um a very very good expanded universe. Yeah, although Zave, Zave really Disney it. nuked it all. They didn't nuke it. Well. Really, it's easy. What canon is, is up to the people. That Disney is had no power to do it. That's totally true. It's not like they're no longer on the market. I can still read the old... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's easy. It's not like they're no Actually, longer in our they? house. I do... Yeah. Okay, yes, they're in our house. That That is still true. <laughs> okay, fair enough. They are in our house. I lied. <laughs> I have access to them. <laughs> can do. All right. You're closer Get back to, to you guys later anyway, on that one. Um, but anyway, that like I feel like that scene is another like classic... Oh, the 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 beautiful damsel in distress will fall like will fall head over heels for our roguish hero. Mm-hmm. I guess that happens eventually, but also they get a divorce. I don't really know. Um, space divorce. <laughs> yeah, she gets a space annulment. Please, she's a princess. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Which, a general. Thank you. Well, she's a general. She's both. Um, you can be both. But no, eventually she's like fighting and like kicking ass in her own way and in like strangling Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, totally. Like, oh shit. Okay, like that's like a throwing in the face of this, but that's why I love Star Wars because that was obviously, I don't know. I felt like a nod to like a tip of the hat wagon finger. Like, yeah, I acknowledge this is what sci-fi in these days are like, but this is Leia we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's nice. And, and you know what and doesn't true. do that? This book. This book is like nope, sex objects. Ooh, look anyway. at our look at our heroic old man. <laughs> Here's our, here's our uh, sexy alien woman with a grown-out tonsure and no eyebrows. Like, 
Get, get some. No, but she's like really good at it. She's like Don't the best worry. ever at it. She yeah. has an immortal woman's understanding of the human man's body, even though we're on an alien planet. <laughs> I mean, that I guess are humans. Their difference is hair. Yeah, that's true. Hair as as is like <laughs> hair is the main species uh, differentiator on the Ring World. Like, <laughs> yeah, these guys all hair. With a wig, girl, she could pass on Earth. Some hair. <laughs> Potentially. This guy shaves hair. This is like a very, uh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> it's weird. No, like, oh, we did a genetic study and she's missing this gene, so she's not human. Right, right. And they're like, like, yeah, I think this guy's half engineer because he has a beard but doesn't have, like, <laughs> hair on the rest of his face. He has some hair. Yes, he has half hair, so he's half engineer. Okay. <laughs> and like, I was so confused. So, okay, the engineers are a precursor race. Like, are there no engineers at all? Because it kind of made it seem like Pearl was an engineer. Oh, but Pearl's definitely an they, engineer. But she has hair. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> you're right, my bad. No, I think the back hair is cool. I think it's the front back area. Hair. A front back head hair. I think that's she doesn't not, I think have that's a beard, cool. so she's not. So she is an engineer. Yeah, obviously. Otherwise, all women on Ringworld had beards. <laughs> that's true. Did they mention any native women, or was it just all bearded men <laughs> and women? Oh shit! Oh shit! We've cracked the case. Niven, we're coming for you. Pril- wait, no. Pril's the mother of all children on the Ringworld. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, that course. makes sense. So she's so good at sex. It doesn't make sense, but it does fall in line with Niven's opinion about women. Exactly. Very good baby machines. Very excellent. But also not baby machines baby when machines. you don't want it, so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, she can control that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. As any good woman should. But... Um, I think it's... Okay, wait. This is weird. <laughs> so, when when was Dune published, Cece? Uh, I want to say... It is an older novel mid 70s okay cool so my analogy does work out um or my comparison so prue like cannot have children when she wants to what prue like cannot have children right like that's like Nin- her thing she like, can control that what 1965 okay yeah back to this so like one of the <laughs> things they talked about about prill is like she can like she has such control over her body that she cannot have children when she doesn't want to right oh like, really i didn't notice that Oh, I thought that was... A, I could have sworn that was a thing. Maybe. Oh, I, I mean, I wouldn't sworn. be surprised. I could have sworn they mentioned that. Someone shout, call us out if it's wrong. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's right, though. Um, but Go on. My, I'm going to go on as if I'm right, because otherwise this comparison doesn't work. Oh, are you thinking of the... Uh, I'm thinking of the... What's it called? It's from Dune. The women? Yeah, the women. I can't remember. You know, how, how all women are really good at manipulating people? <laughs> the, pup- the puppeteers <laughs> the puppeteers of the dune universe but no they can like control cowardly the- and manipulative i think it's um, funny that the idea of a super evolved woman in the vintage sci-fi eyes is being able to can and cannot have children when they want to right it is still all the woman's responsibility though and, and also good at sex. can have limitless unprotected sex don't even worry about it yeah don't do not worry but like if you want a son she can make you have a son <laughs> anyway. yes, absolutely uh, oh, pro. It's that kind of is vintage woke in a way, because it's like a the woman has agency over like her body, her childbearing, yeah, but also like that is one of her appealing traits to men. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this is why you want to bang her. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Like it's all cast in that light. 
It all comes back to this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Classic sci-fi. And world. It was really creepy that he hey. was 200 and she was 20, Peter. I'm sorry. I just had to say it. Tila? Yes, she was Oh, yeah, 20. for sure. He was 10 times her age. Ugh, so gross. You shouldn't have be able to have any whole number as a multiple of the age that's not one. Yeah. 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 True. I'm sticking with that. That's actually a pretty good rule. <laughs> the only integer that can be a multiple of your age of your partner is, is one. one. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> that is a good rule. Um, yeah, it's creepy. I don't like it. Also, how the fact that like he's like, oh, I'm attracted to you because you look a lot like what was it? Your aunt? Your great grandmother. Your great grandma. That's what it was. <laughs> You and she's exact- fine with that. He tells her that, and she's like, "Ah, ha, ha. I visited her once." It's like, "Wow, Do me you, look, again, you look exactly like someone I knew." I'm You're- in love with you. Is this your name? Your great grandmother. <laughs> she was so hot. You're like her, but with better legs. <laughs> she's like, "Wow, what a compliment." <laughs> now go hurt yourself while I scold you for being so T- stupid. Tila just swoons like. <laughs> Falls into his big manly arms because that's how this book goes. So creepy. I feel like we're giving like the, we're really bad ragging hard on this I book. Know. On this, this is like it. I'm not, I admit it's not uncommon in this book, but it's one aspect of this book that we're no, like, you're totally this is right. super not okay. We should move on from it. Like he could have. I wouldn't have minded as much though if he hadn't made it such a point. Regularly, he spent like so much time on Louis and and how young he is. Yes, yes, and Louis like trying to teach her how to be an adult person. And teach her like, how to well, see the world. like, well, she's so immature. Why are you fucking her, you old ass <laughs> creep? <gasps> In a world where people are basically immortal, <laughs> yes. you have to raise the age of consent. Yes, yes, Peter. Yes. <laughs> or you have to have different tiers. Okay. So hold on. <laughs> You can only uh, fuck with people who are up to forty in that window. Okay, yeah, eighteen to twenty 18, to forty. After you're well, after you're eighteen. Okay, um, sure. That's your range up to about 18 40. to forty. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, one, well, then well, I think that might be too small, CC. Too small a range for an immortal society. Like obviously, it's way too big of a range for today, right? <laughs> if I found a friend of mine that's like 18 is having sex with a 40-year-old, I'd have an issue with it no I would be which concerned. way the gender I could come around if no, CC. giving a very CC. strong argument. It breaks the integer rule. It does break the integer rule. <laughs> okay, we have a rule for a reason. Never mind, 18 to 36. <laughs> Let's move on from Tila and Louie. We won't All talk right. about them anymore. That's a lie, but we won't talk about it in an extent. Um, Please. We okay. will stop ourselves next time. So, I would like to talk about the Kazen. Oh my gosh, yes. Or the Kazinti. Yes. I don't know which it is. Uh, I think it's... I think it's the Kazin. I think it's the Kazinti. I thought Kazinti was kind of like humanity. Maybe... maybe. Ugh, crap. Anyway, let's <laughs> go with the Kazinti. Um, okay. Sorry. Tell us if we're wrong. So, first of all, I want to talk about it in the aspect of the puppeteer's manipulation. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of want to talk about how this, where the society is today. Yes. As a whole. Let's. What would you talk about first? Well, um, let's talk about, I guess, the history. Okay. 
So the man is in the horse? They're very much like a big bad initially. Like a terrifying villain of human history, it sounds like. Very feral, like very vicious, terrifying, mm-hmm. very physically imposing. But literally we are saved by their recklessness. By their bloodlust we are saved, basically. Because they talk about how they didn't really wait long enough or plan long enough. They didn't have the patience to win these large wars with humanity. Essentially. Right. They would, they would run themselves out. Right. Right. Whereas we could kind of like be a little bit more strategic because a, it's uh, my, my impression was that we were always fighting for survival. Like they were always the aggressor that Mm -hmm. might not have been true every time, but I'm pretty sure it was true at least most of the time, maybe all the time. But right. so, so until, until the puppeteers interfered through a very subtle way by having the outsiders, which by the way, would love to know more about them. They were very cool and they got kind of popped in there unexpectedly and no one talked about it. Yeah. We get like nothing about them. Which is very disappointing. It's very disappointing. Like, I don't, do we even get a description of what they physically look like? I think we did a tiny bit, but not like a lot. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so so they came in and sold humanity this like this technology that basically enabled us to even the playing field with the Kazinti so that we would eventually win all of our wars with them <laughs> and come to a point where we could have like a diplomatic relationship. But it's very interesting that the puppeteers were looking at the Kazinti thinking, well, you know, maybe we'll exterminate them. <laughs> Let me just think this over. I'm very curious, by the way, about how many times they've done that, like, exterminated species because they thought they were too dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's not really discussed. I mean, again, that's one of those things that they just sort of threw away. He's like, yeah, we were thinking about exterminating them, but then you guys basically did it for us. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but basically, they gave humanity the weapons it needed to do their dirty work for them so that... The Kazinti could be selected for like less vicious survivors, right? Essentially, going yeah. For. Essentially, like the weak. Yeah, like, the ones much. that didn't want to go to war were breeded for. Right, like the quote unquote heroes of the hero's tongue were all killed. They did not, you know, procreate, and we are left with a gentler Kazin. Um. Yes. By the way, I found a description for the Outsiders, if you'd like it. Oh, yes, please. Um, the Outsiders are a many-limbed being that are invariably described as a cat of nine tails with a fattened handle. Their body <laughs> composition includes ultra-cold, superfluid helium. Outsiders are estimated to be the most advanced species in known space, possibly the galaxy, but their development remains unknown. And um, they can make sweet... Faster than light drives, um, but they prefer to travel the slow way. And huh. um, wait, where is it? Oh, it's cool because the way this is interesting. The way they um, they live is they live on thermal electricity by li- lying their heads in the sunlight and their tails in shadow. The temperature difference sets up a current. <laughs> That's very cool. Yes. Oh, it is. now I want even more. But yeah, 
But like, well, we can get it later. You can Google yourself. Like uh, I yeah, just did. I'll have myself a Google. Yeah, I'll have a little Google. Slash read like the other 11 books that he wrote. I cannot wait. That's my plan. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, I thought that was cool. Like, it was very interesting. <laughs> I know, I was kind of and, into like, it as, like, the, a bio person. Yeah, as, like, someone who just, like, get kind of gets how that works a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they have forced it's selection. It's pretty cool. And it kind of goes and shows you the patience of the puppeteers. Oh, totally. Like, the human Kazin wars were, like, there was four of them. By the way, yes, Kazin were always the aggressors. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, like, over centuries. Right. Like, that's a long-ass plan. Yeah, yeah, um, I do, I kind of appreciate, too, that, yes, they were thinking about exterminating the Kazinti. Yes, that's, like, not okay. But the Kazin were starting these wars, so all they did was give, essentially, the victims of the Kazinti enough power to survive. Where, like, if you, if you were the puppeteers... And you could watch a relatively harmless race get exterminated by an extremely vicious race, which is looking to expand its power. Like, I would side with us, too, you know? Yeah, I mean, even like, if it was, like, an alien race that was doing this, like, it wasn't humans. Like, I feel like I, we right. might be like, well, the humans were fine. But, like, I don't want to <laughs> Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm maybe being a little human biased, but I also don't think so. I think that, you know... They clearly didn't think that we were as threatening as the Kazinti. They would never have given us any power. So, like, I kind of right. appreciate the elegance of the solution that, hey, the Kazinti are starting this fight anyway. So, like, we're just going to make sure it's a fair one. And, you know, win-win. We also will see if we can breed a less cruel, less vicious, less bloodthirsty Kazinti. Right. And, and it worked out perfectly in their favor. And I think they also went through this and, like, well... There's a chance that maybe we will need some more, um, like we might need a vicious space, uh, vicious race to help us. Hmm. And I think that's a that's also a possibility. Um, yeah, the do idea you that because like that's throwing away a tool that they could have used potentially. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. So like. Uh, Speaker for animals, speaker to animals was brought on the mission to be like a just a physical force, right? Like, I think basically that was the idea. a bodyguard for Nessus. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's interesting how everything worked out. Yeah, I mean, it kind of all worked animals out. Like, actually, I'm in charge, and Louis like, I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, that's like this is like a war. <laughs> <laughs> you are probably better suited than Nessus, who keeps having nervous breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, one thing we didn't touch on about the puppeteers, sorry to backtrack, is that um, they make a point of mentioning that they have somehow tested and proven the absence of an immortal soul in puppeteers. And so that's right. the rationale for why they're so self-protective, is because they know that they get this life and nothing else. Yes. No, you're right. I forgot and they also that. They also talk about the idea that the longer a race's lifespan becomes, the more they have to protect. And so, therefore, the more cautious they become. I feel like maybe I don't agree with that. You know, I feel like I don't agree with that, and my example is in this book. Really? Go on. I mean, it's Louis. Like, Louis is one of the oldest humans alive. Right. 
he was born at a time where kind of like medicine took the next leap forward and all of a sudden we were kind of good yeah humans just kind of can keep going indefinitely it seems yeah um because we have some sort of long longevity drug right Uh, yeah they call it spice (laughs) i don't know where this came from originally but everyone fucking called it spice uh, it probably came from freaking Dune, because Dune I mean, was 65, and this was 70. Right, and they did the exact same thing as it did in Dune. Right, just made people live longer. Yeah, exactly. stay young um, the whole time. But Louis, you hear him talking about, like, all the long list of adventures he goes on. And he doesn't seem particular. Like, he seems as protective as I am about my life. But, like... I'd say he's rather less protective than I am. <laughs> or rather more protective. Wait, I mean, yeah, but we talk about how if any, if living required, like, a great deal of sacrifice from you, you'd probably just give up. That's true. That is a regular concept we talk about. <laughs> I'd rather die than suffer. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So I he, get that from mom. <laughs> <laughs> and air conditioning. The lack of air conditioning. Yeah. Hey, um, hey, I turn off my air conditioning in the summer so that we can record, okay? Wow, I don't. <laughs> well i record like right under my air conditioner and it's very loud i actually just i was worried because i just the central air just kicked on and i felt a breeze on my hand which is next to the mic and i was worried you heard it oh i did it good job mike yay um <laughs> anyway so the um so, so I, louis I feel like is constantly louis, endangering his life is your yeah point. louis like going on these adventures like he's known as a great adventurer that's true. And, and I think that he takes a normal amount of risk. I don't think he, like, flamboyantly throws his life away. But I do think he, he doesn't, like, he's not afraid of danger. Right, yeah. Protecting his life does not make him a coward the way it does the puppeteers. Right, he it just makes him He has several moments alive. in this book where he's like, I guess I'm gonna die now. But also moments where he refers back to a time where he swore he would never die. So, like, he wants to live forever if he can possibly help it, but it also seems like he's kind of okay with it if he doesn't. I think he was to live forever and but do it well. You know, like it Yes, exactly. What's see, the see, point of living forever if you're gonna do it like in your living room? Do you remember Scythe? you read Scythe, right? Uh I didn't read all of Scythe. Okay, well there is this uh, there is this Scythe are they called are they called Scythes? Yeah, they're called Scythes. The people that do the reaping. Are they called that? I thought they were called Scythes. Maybe. So, yeah, I think so. Anyway, there's one one of the people that kill people. Um, guys, just for context, it's a book about people, like, death's been solved. We can just cheat it all we want now. but to, And the world is run by an AI, basically, but he's really nice. Um, <laughs> a really chill AI. He's, like, a real cool AI. It's like if Alexa ran the world. <laughs> it's like if Skynet got high. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> um, Anyway, so the... It's kind of ironic, because the Thunderhead is a much more foreboding name than, uh... Skynet? Than Skynet. But the Thunderhead, like, seems pretty chill. It does. You actually talk to... The, the main character talks to the Thunderhead. Anyway, um... <laughs> the Thunder... The, but the Thunderhead acts as a surrogate father and, like, raises kids really well when it's in the, they're in the foster system. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yes, that's anyway, awesome. Anyway, moving on. The One of the is- size, um chooses her victims by walking around and looking for people who basically look tired like of the like weary of living i did think that was very interesting yeah and this is kind of what i think about in this like louis entire life is focused towards not being weary of live of life right now he gets that satisfaction from going on adventures going on sabbaticals by himself to see the universe 
uh, I think the puppeteers do it by making scientific advancements. Like, working, yeah, that's true. working, like, working. Sort of furthering their race. Exactly. I mean, they even talk about that, how, um, how like, substantial and significant an honor it is to reproduce. Yeah. Um, and, like, that was, like, a great, that was a prize for Nessus. Why don't they work on, like, contraception? (laughs) No. I mean, they're so scientifically advanced, but the only way they can prevent reproduction is abstinence. Well, no. That might be because their bodies are, like, fighting. Like, I don't know, like, there's a, once again, back to the Terran Privateer. Alien biology stuff. The Terran Privateer, the alien, the the, the squid-like aliens, they turn out to be pretty chill. Um, The women when they breed they have no birth canal oh like there are species in the ocean that do this they are impregnated and then their children eat their way out that's not great and so they like can't so they became really really good at like in vitro or at um at like making um cesarean sections no not c-sections of like basically they have like the best artificial womb technology in the galaxy yeah, because like they were like, we're gonna work on this, but at the end this of it, this is go, a problem. We can't keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And also, like, it's a matriarchal society, so they're really focused on it. <laughs> Fair um, enough. But they also have this thing, like, it, like four hundred years, their body's like, hey, I should have had a kid by now, and fucking loses it, and they go mad. Oh, um, what? <laughs> yeah, no, it's CC took such a good series. Peter, why don't <laughs> we cover it? I feel like you don't want to cover it, but I don't know why. I feel like it's not interesting enough. Like, I feel like it's not, like, a night. We'll, <laughs> Even we'll though do you it. find ways to bring it up in I other books. I love those books, CC. <laughs> I have never heard of them, except from you. I don't even know if there's a book. I don't know if there's an audiobook. Like, we might be screwed. This might be a very, uh, very obscure series. Anyway. Um, anyway. It's, like, but it's something that comes up. <laughs> if there's and it's no like... audiobook, we can't possibly cover it. <laughs> We both know it takes me too long to read books. <laughs> we have a month now. But anyway, but like that comes back to this, like their their biology is just so overpowering in this one regard that even their technology like has only been able to stave off death for so long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the women are like infinitely good at, at um regeneration. Hmm. So like they don't have any body issues until they go mad. Interesting. Um but yeah, so that's what I think about the privateers. Or the puppeteers, rather. Sorry, now I'm on the privateer train. <laughs> now, you're, um, now you're on it. <laughs> choo-choo. Um, <laughs> maybe they have, like, a very over... Like, their way they specifically reproduce is so overpowering. Because, hey, it, if they're a race of cowards... Right. Uh, that's... You're only going to make a move, like, once a decade. <laughs> they got to make sure it sticks. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Peter, we're running kind of long. Do you want to talk about the actual ring itself? Oh, God. The, we the didn't even talk there? about the ring. Okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah, we, we, we well, barely to be fair, like, touched on any of it. This this podcast was brought forth as like a philosophical, like world-discussing podcast. That's true. That's we're true. getting back and to our I feel roots. like sometimes our uh, conversations go into a weird direction that like we don't even talk about the main premise of the book. And we're like, okay, that's it. See that's you guys next month. Have a good one. <laughs> okay, so the ring. We definitely assume that you've read the books <laughs> as yeah, listeners. We do. That's true. Um, I so, the ring. Love, Go. love. This is one of my favorite like theoretical science concepts. Yeah. Artificial rings and artificial worlds. Yeah. It's so cool. 
It is very interesting. It's hard to imagine why a race would do it. Unless they were a race like the puppeteers where they just kind of wanted to be together. <laughs> like, in one place. Have um, everything they needed there. I mean, really though, like, there are a lot of benefits to doing that. First of all, if it's a centrally governed society and, like, the, all of their people were under one rule, um, from a government standpoint, I can imagine that being hugely beneficial. Yeah. Like, um, um, oh, like the, the aliens in, um, the Babaverse. Like the uh, enemy, the enemy in the Babaverse, the bugs. Oh, yeah. Hey, they, that's the ones who built the ring world. Yeah, they, <laughs> um, they, they built the ring world in this one. They actually took a crossover. Uh, <laughs> but they had a whole, like their whole society had to be ruled from one place, from the same star system. So they built a thing for that. Now I'm not saying the engineers were like that. I'm saying there, there's a reason to do it. Yeah, that's true. If, if that's some, somehow part of your societal structure, like you are opposed to spreading out. Like humanity, as it has evolved on Earth, has a very strong desire to spread out and explore and set down roots in new untouched places. You know, we've done it to death on Earth and now we're trying to do it in the rest of the solar system and inevitably if we survive that long we'll do it outside of our own solar system i mean i think it's not a good justification not a good thing to say that humanity does that because think about how many people live in cities like there are places to go there are uncharted areas of the earth left from the ground anyway like we haven't finished discovering it but so many people are just good to stay in cities and good to live with their fellow man i think that there's a very small part that would do it. And the engineers had those. They had those people that went out and got resources. That's where they yeah, sent their adventurers. But the they most... came back. Right. They didn't seem to have colonies. They had... No, that's where they went. They went to colonies. Were they, like, actual colonies? I kind but of just... It seemed to me like they were foraging. They were, like, going and picking up the wild sheep and bringing them back. No, I'm pretty sure, like, it was a group of col- of colonial um, kind of worlds... Oh, no, Cece, this is why they did it. They didn't have faster than light travel. I forgot. Uh, yeah, that also would have something to do with it. They didn't have faster... And that's where Ranjates came up. That was an interesting handicap. (laughs) That's where Ranjates came up. Um, yeah. That was so cool. (laughs) They are extremely, extremely good mechanical engineers, not as good aerospace engineers. Well, wait, no. Hold on. They got... (laughs) Um, they bring a ramjet, CC. They're great at that too. What they aren't great is apparently super weird theoretical physics. Like we don't. This book series disappoints me because we get no even like mumbo jumbo quantum bullshit about how the <laughs> Larry jump drives like, work. I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. <laughs> yeah, they have no idea how the fast and light drives work. And but, he didn't even know he was going to get blasted by MIT students. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the. Uh, the, the engineers, just their technology went in a different direction. I mean, you hear like them talking about how they were ridiculously advanced in electromagnetics. Yeah, And they, ha- they were also great chemists. They had excellent superconductors. Oh, actually, they might have discovered those. It might be kind of like um, ooh, Wakanda. Like, they had a weird natural resource <laughs> that was super good at a thing, and they were like, well, this is our thing now. That's true. Um, Clearly, they're fantastic materials engineers, because at the end of the book, we still don't know what the ring world's made out of. You're right. They just say it's made out of, like, ring world material or something Yeah, like ring like, material. Yeah, they call it, like, ring like, foundation I don't know, or something. Ring, ring ground. <laughs> this is ring metal. 
That's some ring dirt. Ringtonium. Ringtonium. You laugh. We we joke, but like that's probably what they'll name it. <laughs> we get into Ringwell Engineers, like, so where did you get this Ringatonio? <laughs> Sounds like Ringatoni. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my grandmother used to make Ringatonium. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. You ever had baked Ringatonium? Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. Um... So I get the cheese yeah. nice and crispy. <laughs> they did it. Got hit by a meteor. <laughs> oh no! So the that, that's kind of the the interesting thing about the engineers. They just followed one path of science really well, or a couple right. paths of science. They just kind of didn't touch whatever led to the jump drive. Yeah. Oh, see, see, that's yeah. where ramjets were. We talked okay. about ramjets. That's where they were. That's how they got to the other. That's how they got to the colony worlds. That makes sense. Okay, so. Actually, it sort of seems like we're creating a universe where each race has its blind spots. You know, like, the puppeteers are very, very, very good at technology, but they're, like, not very courageous. The freaking engineers are extremely good at, like, certain types of technology, but they just never paid attention to this one thing. They never developed this one thing. I'm going with the engineers are phenomenal, practical... The engineers are engineers. They're engineers, yeah. Right. They're not theoretical physicists. They are very yeah, good at true. practical applications of science. That's true. I mean, like, the theory involved in building the ring world is not hard to understand. I mean, no. you were just talking about, like, how you could... <laughs> about, like, the size of the ring world and how you thought that, that you were, like, wondering where they got that number, and you're like, oh, wait, it's super easy to calculate. <laughs> yeah, we, we came up with this idea and did the math on what that area would be in the 70s. Right. Yeah, like, it, we we barely had the broken the atom, okay? <laughs> Don't even talk to me about like any subatomic physics at all. I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were taking a drink. Break. Were you also taking a drink? <laughs> no, I just was waiting for you to say something. <laughs> oh yeah, it's okay. I won't talk about subatomic particles. I'll say. I'll okay. talk about them. No, there's nothing to talk about in this one. Um. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, is that um. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, <clears throat> that it doesn't take a theoretical physicist to say uh, if you put a giant ring around the sun and rotated it, it would have gravity and like a shit ton of space. Or and if like, you took, I mean, like, yo, know, you need some rudimentary stuff, but like, or if you took this thing that's really good at conducting shit and made it a magnet, you could do some cool stuff. Like, right. that's engineer thinking. Right. I think the greatest technological problem of the ring world is the material it's made out of. And they do talk about, again, kind of vaguely, how the engineers had a transmutation technology where they could just, like, harvest materials from other planets and make it into this new material. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know what it was, but they just knew that the engineers had transmuted it somehow. I think there's a point where... The engineers take figure out that technology, and I can see like high theoretical physics stopping. Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, think we about kind it. Of like, got what we need. And think about it. you don't even need We've to figure out. We've got extremely expert prostitutes who can make it worthwhile. We've got like, the best prostitutes. Uh. <laughs> so they'll keep the men entertained. You know, the working men. 
on these extremely long journeys to our colony worlds. And everyone else could just hang out and, like, be contentedly ruled on the ring world. And there's so much space. And nobody has to worry about anything. All right, cool. Good talk, everyone. Like, meeting adjourned. And for some reason, we have floating buildings, because why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Again, engineers. Engineers. I'm, I'm going with, like, a lot of answers can be, qu- like, a lot of questions, rather. A lot of answers can be questioned. A lot of questions can be answered. <laughs> have you met an engineer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> like, because we can. <laughs> because we can is basically the motto. <laughs> or I wondered if I could, so, so I, I tried it, and then I did it. That's how you <laughs> can. The answer is I can, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They just stop to think whether or not they should. And apparently they should, because it's great. Right, exactly. And Do you this have is... my... Sorry, go on. <laughs> go on, no, go ahead. I didn't really have a place to go. You were just going to rant some more? I was going to rant some more. Do you have a clear understanding of how the civilization fell? Because um, I feel like you kind of copped out on that one. I, I, I got a little bit of one, I guess. I mean, wasn't the idea that... Oh, this is what it was. Um, there was a mold that got brought back from a, from some random place that grew... I think it fed on, like, electron... I think it fed on, like, electricity... Oh. Um, and it invaded like the all the like the superconducting magnets basically, and made all the superconductors and made them uh, inoperable. Whoa. And so like that's why the like transmutation through the wall didn't work. That's why right. they lost right. the ability to get like food and shit like logs locks of it or like whatever they needed. Oh, how did I miss that? Everything was broken. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I knew that there was a massive power outage, but I, I think Pearl was talking about it. I think you were mostly just pissed off about Pearl. <laughs> I mean, I was glad that we met an engineer, but I couldn't uh, focus on that because she had to be a sex object first and foremost. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> thank you, Lily Nevin. Thank you. Uh, anyway, you promised we'd stop talking about this. You brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yes, the. <clears throat> That's what happened. That's why everything <laughs> fell apart. And then ships okay, couldn't, people, crews couldn't get inside because shit was so broke. So nothing could be brought in that could like fix anything, and nobody could talk to each other. Nobody could travel the wild distances. Right, that and no one could land on it because there was no way to land on the inside of the ring. What happened to all the other ships? Hmm. What would happen to all the other ships? I don't know. No, you don't. Um. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, and then their captain did something weird to land, despite it. Yeah, he, like, basically matched speed and landed, and then a bunch of, I think a couple of people died then, and then some more people died when they tried to land. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's what happened. Interesting. Uh, on that note, there's a point where Louis like, yeah, we had something like that. It uh, was a yeast that ate polyethylene, so we, we had to give polyethylene. <laughs> You know, I'm like, oh, the 70s, where we thought that our plastic problem would be solved by a evolving yeast. <laughs> so that we, <laughs> oh no, we had to give up plastic grocery bags. <laughs> <laughs> what a hopeful time. The hardships. Time. <laughs> Man, I wish we had a yeast that would eat that. I mean, we do have like a couple microbes that will eat plastics, but they are not like a pandemic the way Louis was describing. That I mean, there's like plastic. research going on to make them more 
like basically more <laughs> yes. efficient, right? Yeah, better at eating and uh, you know moving through shit. I think the plants just kind of put them on like the trash pile or whatever it's called, the moving trash pile the size of Texas. Yeah, that one. Ugh. <laughs> I'm sad. Anyway. So anyway, the Ring World. How how long was it abandoned, or how long was it like in barbarism? I mean, I think it was like a long time, right? Like like a thousand years. Yeah, poor Prill. Cause it's like time. Well, I don't think Prill was alive there the whole time, right? Because they were like on these eighty-year journeys, but relativity is a bitch. Relativity is a bitch. Well, to them it was twenty-four years, but I think they said it was something like three hundred years. Yeah. So I bet Prill, I bet Prill was there for like a while, like a couple hundred years, just kind of walking mm-hmm. around. Um, yeah. But because yeah, they said it was starting like as they left, probably. Yeah, like, they may not have known about it, but it was definitely, the seeds were there, so to speak. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, Um, Did they explain why these shadow squares were in an elliptical orbit? Yeah, seasons. But they said it would have, like, a three-week, like, year cycle in that. (laughs) I thought they, they said seasons, and I was like, that makes sense, but then they wrote it off. I just figured they thought the plan was weird as shit. <laughs> like, I figured there was, like... I don't My thing they... was, like, uh, yeah, like, so maybe their planet had really short seasons. Like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, the... Hey, hold on. How did they get the people to the planet? Wait, okay. So, the ring was the only thing in that system. Right? Okay, that's what I thought. How did they get the people from the homeworld to that ring? Because I'm assuming they built it in their homeworld. Otherwise, they would have to put everyone on ramjet ships and move them over. That's true. Hmm. Uh, I think I, I think I heard something about. Well, no, because the Ringworld would not be livable until it was rotating because it couldn't hold an atmosphere. Right. I guess they could have made like the struts because like the ring material seemed pretty dope. Like I think they could have made like sh- like beams of it and then built out a part of it and then if they had ramjets around the perimeter fixing the orbit like you talked about that could work. Well, and no, because then... the atmosphere would still leak out the ends. Well, if unless they like built the a wall. There. Yeah, they could build mountain ranges there. Huh. I don't know. I. It's also sci- like you know seventy sci-fi. Yeah, and also there's books, um, many books. Yeah, and literally one called Which will probably specifically explain this at some point. Hopefully. Here's hoping. I um did did was it implied that the Fist of God was at all related to the fall of civilization or just that it happened also? I think it happened since the fall of civilization. Possibly okay. as part of like the meteor system failing. Yeah, I guess the protection system. Because obviously they would have had to have a protection system. Yeah, exactly. So, here's a funny thing, um, since we should probably wrap up soon. I was reading about this book, and uh, you might have seen this too, Peter, but at the 1972 sci-fi convention, um, a bunch of MIT students and, like, fellow protesters were gathered around outside chanting, The Ring World is Unstable. (laughs) 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 Because they were, like, so infuriated. About the idea that you could have a stable ring in orbit around a sun or around a star and it'd just be fine. <laughs> to the point where, like, 
Larry Niven had to write a sequel basically to address these these concerns about now, interesting. I don't <laughs> understand stability. why it I get like after it gets hit by the meteor. But if you built a uniform circle and set it to spin, I don't know why it wouldn't be stable. Uh yeah. I think it probably I has to do with say... me not having a good, that good of an understanding of orbital physics. Uh, because while I am the physics person on this podcast, I'm also not a physics person. I'm a literal engineer, <laughs> like we just talked about. We just talked about how you people don't understand these things. Yeah, theoretical <laughs> stuff is stuff I learned on my own time, not because I went to school for it. <laughs> uh, no, I think that I think that it literally is about like things striking it and stuff like that. Okay, so but, like anything striking it, and then also, also the I think that probably the mass of the circle is in uniform, right? Well, gen- can't be perfectly uniform. Technically not uniform, but the mass that matters probably is. Yeah, maybe the variations are a, a, a many orders of magnitude beneath mattering. Right, or like the if you have mountain ranges, just have them opposite each other. Yeah. You know, or like you but the mount- create a symmetrical circle. Yeah, or the mountain ranges are actually just like they're not mountain through and through. It's just lifted foundation. Right. So that's not an issue. Uh, you know, I think it's worth looking into. My understanding, I was just thinking about it as. Um, Things striking the ring, like even small things, you know, not necessarily all the giant meteors, like the one that created the fist of God, but like, but lots of small things 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 that might be, um, sort of beneath the notice of the, uh, meteor protection system or the debris from that, like things must be left. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the ring world had guns that could like atomize. Um, transmuted into incoming. nothing. Yes, <laughs> transmuted into more ring world material. And this just, is like, my transmutation ray. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. vintage sci-fi. All right, but, yeah, that's what um, I think about for that. So I have two more things I want to talk about real quick. Go, 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 go. We'll see if I can remember the second one while I talk about the first one. Um, <laughs> so highway hypnosis, totally a thing. Oh, yeah, it totally is. Like, theorized by, like, um, psychologists, like, over the last 75 years. But demonstrated, too, right? Like, it happens? Yeah, like, this is a known thing. I would think it happened to pilots. Um, I'm sure it does. I'm betting that's part of the reason why airline pilots travel in pairs. Yeah, you're probably right. Also, but these days, I bet it doesn't happen anymore, because most of that time, that shit's on autopilot. That's true. You don't have to look out the window. Yeah, you're, you're just kind of... You're, you're reading not exactly a magazine. looking where you're going. Yeah, you read a magazine for a couple hours and listen for a buzzer. Um, <laughs> I should be a pilot. It's not that easy. I made that up. <laughs> that sounds nice. You could crochet for a couple hours and just land. <laughs> there you go. The stressful part's on you, though. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, yeah. That is, like, totally a thing. It's about, like, hypnotic dissociation... Um, it's about basically like if you're driving for a long time, you'll just like get places or die. Oh no, that totally has happened to me. Like not, not obviously to the same extent, but like I will get home, especially if it's late, I will get home and be like, I don't remember any of that drive. You know what? I get get when I drive to Pittsburgh and back. Oh my God. I'm sure. Cause you're on the same highway for like 250 miles. Dear listeners, the drive between my home in in Philadelphia, or I guess Pittsburgh now, and my home in in Philadelphia, it's like eight turns. (laughs) And at one point I get on a highway and it goes, travel straight for 250 miles. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. 
Cool. This is why we need rest stops because of highway hypnosis. Yeah, I mean, really though, it has nothing to do with peeing. Well, yeah, and I mean, you listen to um, you listen to audiobooks, so like you're just thinking about the audiobook, and I guess not getting hit by trucks, but like only a little bit. <laughs> well, like it's not like driving is memorable, right? <laughs> like, but like you would think, if anything, driving on the turnpike would be memorable because again, trucks—they're terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes motorcyclists, and sometimes state troopers. Like, there's lots of things to ignite your interest on the turnpike, but somehow, some way. You can just drive this 250 miles and be like, I don't remember doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That it just doesn't true. form lasting memories because it's so uninteresting. All right. I think there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Is there something that you want to talk about that I might be thinking of and I forgot? Um, I think I've said all the things I want to say specifically. Uh, we talked about Tila at length. We talked about Louis' life. and Oh, this isn't what I want to talk about, but they dropped... Like teleportation, like it's no big thing. <laughs> yeah, they totally do. It's like in the first paragraph. And then they're like, cool, that's it. They're just like, like the, everyone's like, got it except the ring world for some reason. That's another. Is... Basically, travel ring world wise is. Oh, terrible. I'm betting hyperdrive and teleporting are related. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, Although I, bet... I don't know why, because they seem like very different physics to me. Well, we don't. Know Neither of them either, exist, so they but are. they seem like very different physics to so me. So they're in the same class, not existing. Um. Maybe they're both quantum, CC. <laughs> yeah, they're probably both quantum, Peter. Yeah, right. That's like what I get from kind of um, my extensive. I'm I mean, about they're both quantum technologies. So anyway. Yeah. Um, we didn't really talk about Speaker to Animals very much. I loved his name. I liked it was his hilarious. Name. I, I liked how. I liked him Louis a lot. Draw. I liked that he was very unapologetic. Yeah, he's just like, I am what I am. He's like, look, like I never lied. Like, I'm a Kazin. <laughs> like, our first interaction, I You guys know Louis. about us, right? <laughs> hey, we eat things. Like, they but, named me Speaker to Animals. Right. But also, he um was a good person. Like, <laughs> he, sure, he tried to mutiny in the beginning. But to be honest, he's just trying to, like, do the honorable thing by his race. Uh, you can't really fault him for it. Yeah. And and he didn't try to kill them. He just was like, you'll get picked up eventually. I'm going to take Nessus and the, and the ship and go. Like, he was not, he wasn't like, okay, murder, murder, murder. Me and the ship are outy. I got these big claws. Nessus is going to die. Right. And get eaten. Um, and, and then I'm going to eat him. Right. Exactly. He wasn't like that at all. And later on, we see him and Louis stranded at the police station. Right. And he... I mean, Louis like, he, he says something about not having, he, he's the only one who doesn't have a food source, and Louis like, looks at himself, looks at Speaker, and it's like, you have a food source, but are you going to use it? And Speaker Animals is like, no, 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 that would be dishonorable. And Louis, like, quote, pretends to sleep, and then actually falls asleep, because he believes him so sincerely. Mm-hmm. Like, even though, phys- like, consciously, he's like, uh, I don't know about all that, like, subconsciously he knows that speaker means it and he does he doesn't do anything he never raises a hand at louis oh super honorable yeah Um, and the final point of my thesis about why speaker is such a great guy (laughs) 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 is later on when they're driving around and um 
being gods, basically. He, like, is actually sort of bothered by the fact that he can't help these humans who are trying to get advice from him. And he's like, I don't feel like I'm being a good god because I don't know anything about humans. I wish they weren't asking me to solve their problems. And, like, actually sets up a little scheme with Louis so that he and Louis can help solve these people's problems. Yes, exactly. I love speaking to animals. I, lo- I love speaking to animals. Um, this is my main other thing I want to talk about the Kazin, and then we're done. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they don't have sentient wives. Oh yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I don't think that the, the puppeteers have sentient wives. Yes, they do. Do they? Wasn't the hindmost going to mate with... No, yeah, that's definitely what happened. The no, hindmost no, no. was like, yes. I'll have sex with you. Yes, yes. But Louis had some sort of weird pondering about like, hey, I guess I shouldn't judge. Like, I guess they have a non-sentient female race. He was like speculating because it was so hard for Louis to imagine um, two males of a species having sex. Like they did not seem, because the Hymos was a male and Nessus was a male, at least by Louis' estimation. I guess he could have been wrong. Or like, they, they could were have not one sex. Sexually dimorphic. They could have one sex, yeah. Like, so maybe the puppeteers have a non-sentient female but like i don't think so i'm pretty sure they're just not not sexual no not, not sexually dimorphic would be there's just no perceivable difference i'm going with there's just one gender there's just one gender um, that might be so and i don't know, what, I the mean, of, I don't know did, what the word for that is uh <laughs> unisex i don't know That's louis did even at some point say um uh you know hey when did i start calling nessus he like he, nessus was never like yes i am a male but um, Louis started thinking of Nessus as a he, which, you know, fairly vintage book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they seemed to pretty much accept. But he was, uh, like, aware of that. Uh, Nessus's, um, I guess, gender fluidity? I don't want to call it that. But... Uh, ungendered. He, he's ungendered. Yes. Well, then he did call him he, like, instead of they. So, he's gender know. non-conforming. He, he gendered him. I don't think that we have a vocabulary for talking about the gender or lack thereof of animals. But the point is, is that Louis, like, acknowledged that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You They're know, not I'm... animals, Cece. What Did I say fuck? animals? You said animals. <laughs> I meant aliens. Oh, shit. What the fuck? <laughs> you human-centric piece of shit. I know. <laughs> Cis-human scum. Yeah, you um... cis-human scum. So, so what I meant was, um, I just thought it was interesting that they had Louis like note. Mm. You know, it's funny. I, I like I, I started calling Nessus a he, but I don't really know that he's a he. But I guess it works, so I'm just gonna keep doing it. So I, I just thought it was an interesting acknowledgement for 1970. You're right. All right, Cece, should we finally wrap up? Yeah, this is like a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. It's such a good book. It was Guys, a very it's good so book. so good. I feel like we could talk for another hour and a half about it. I know, it's such but a we good won't book. Because my headphones yeah. are dying and you guys don't want to listen to us talk for another hour and a half about Also, we're going to have surge sure. upload. Yeah, that too. Oh man, anyway, alright. So, this is a truly exceptional book and I'm very glad we did it. Yes, yes. Uh, offenses to 2019 sensibilities notwithstanding, it's it was really, really interesting. It was very much like you could see how much it inspired the sci-fi that came after it. It was That's genre-changing. It's definitely a defining book. And if you yes. know someone who likes sci-fi but really doesn't believe in true equality between men and women, they might want to give this book a shot. <laughs> this is like the perfect book for this them. This is made for them. If Donald That's Trump was really into sci-fi. people. Um... <laughs> if you know any misogynists who like sci-fi. 
Oh, there's definitely a lot of misogynists who like sci-fi. It's like most sci-fi fans. Then they will have um, unfettered love of this book with zero qualms whatsoever. They will They will make a podcast and say, there is nothing wrong with this book. It's the perfect book. It's the perfect book, and it we, ages so beautifully. We found it. It's perfect. <laughs> Oh anyway. No, but seriously, I think there's an extent to which you kind of just have to accept that old media is old media, and not all of it is going to be something that would be remotely publishable today, but, like, that does not mean that it's a story not worth telling and still engaging with. Right, I mean, it's the story that matters. Yeah. Not not the, uh... Disservice the, to women. The women that were disrespected down along the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If these were real women, I'd have I would have more beef with this, but they're fictional characters. So they're fictional the women, so it's fine. All right, um, PA, you want to tell them what our next book is? Uh, our next book is going to be Caliban's War, a long-awaited revisit to the Expanse universe by uh, James S. A. Corey. Uh, yes, so we are uh, looking forward to do that. A much more modern book, as compared yes. to our. Um, this one will probably not have the same problems that this book did. No. It also probably won't have the same strikes because it's a very different kind of sci-fi. Yeah, so we really look forward to that. We, If you didn't uh, listen to our episode or read the book um, Leviathan Wakes, it is excellent. If you mm-hmm. like biology, if you like mysteries untold, and if potential... If you like kind of grittier sci-fi. Yeah, if you like grungy sci-fi. Because I would say not. that this book is not very gritty. <laughs> no, this, gr- this book is very, like, happy-go-lucky. I have, like, a weird image in my mind that old sci-fi is like very smoothed over <laughs> but uh, like not like 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 undecorated porcelain and then s- modern sci-fi is either like very intricately decorated or chipped or, or, or chips yeah or like like very textured uh, you know what I mean? like i think that there's sort of a lack of texture in some of these old books i would say most of these old books to be totally honest with. modern sci-fi is less hopeful <laughs> most of the time yeah yeah they all really end up in dystopian worlds or burned out planets and shit that was just like a one sentence point i wanted to make is that i think that it's funny the preoccupation with civilization falling that vintage sci-fi seems to have or like just general that shit seems prophetic uh yeah all right. So, so join us next month for uh, Levi- for wait, more of this. Caliban's War, the sequel to Leviathan Weeks. Yes, more of this. <laughs> okay, guys. That should be coming out on Monday, September 2nd. But really, what do really states mean to us? <laughs> <laughs> They're really more like guidelines. <laughs> we should really just transition to a release when we're ready format. No, then we will never release. <laughs> That's fair. More. How about at we least once a deadlines. month? Release when we can. Like at least once a month, release when we're ready. I don't know, but my headphones are dying, so let's wrap up. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, guys, would... we would love it if you would rate or review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever you. Those get are the same thing. Podcast, uh, yes, they are. Redundancy is key to making an hour and a half episode of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There are 45 minute sections that are redundant. <laughs> please, please uh, come and find us on facebook.com slash sci-fi sidebar or facebook.com slash signify nothing network, twitter.com slash nothing net. I think that's right. Is that right? Come or on, email CC. us if we were terribly wrong or stupid or ignorant or uh, you want to smart. Talk? Or it's insightful. I mean, it could be positive. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> um, at signify nothing network at gmail.com. 
Yep. Right? Yeah, okay. that's it. <laughs> please share us with your friends. And um, if this is your first episode, welcome and please subscribe. All right. Does that cover all our bases? Go, go ahead, Cece. You can do it. Oh, this has been Signified. Wait. You fu- okay, never mind. <laughs> this has been Sci Fi Sidebar. Go on. Signifying <laughs> nothing now. <laughs> Tales told by idiots. Why do we always fuck up when we say that? We're not, this isn't an affectation. We really are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one. See you in.